selecting a commencement speaker uh, is always a, a challenge. We, we always want a person who is a prominent leader, someone who has been very successful in their field, and a visionary. We want a person who understands and respects the significance of this day, both for our graduates as well as for their, their family and friends who are gathered for this memorable occasion. I believe that you'll agree that we have selected a great speaker for this year. Our 2004 commencement speaker is an alumnus of our college. He understands the emotional complexity of this occasion, the freedom that comes with no classes, no more note-taking, and no more exams. <laughs> the relief and pride of receiving that hard-earned degree, the excitement and reservations about what happens next, the sweetness and perhaps sadness that this ceremony represents. Our keynote speaker sat in this auditorium and walked across this platform to receive his Bachelor's of Science and Master's of Science degrees in food science. He is known to television viewers worldwide as the host of the acclaimed Yan Can Cook show, seen in 70 countries and in more than 240 markets throughout the United States. His program received the prestigious James Beard Award twice, once for best cooking show and once for best television food journalism. Martin Yan, a certified master chef and restaurant consultant, has hosted more than 2,200 cooking shows and authored 26 cookbooks, including Martin Yan's culinary journey through China. He's received countless awards, including a daytime Emmy, and was a designated honorary doctor of humane letters by the Colorado Institute of Art. Along with Julia Child, Martin received an honorary doctorate degree in culinary arts from Johnson and Wales, the world's leading culinary training university. Martin has lived and traveled extensively throughout Asia and speaks several Chinese dialects. Recently, he opened his seventh Yan Can Fresh Asian Cooking Restaurant. This specialized Southeast Asian menu includes many of his favorite recipes. Martin and the Yan Can Cook Group are consultants to the food manufacturing, food service, and hospitality industries, specializing in Chinese and Asian cuisines. Headquartered in the San Francisco area, the talented group includes writers, home economists, chefs, food and hospitality marketing consultants, and video experts. Martin is living a full, satisfying, successful life, driven by extraordinary passion, vision, and commitment. We are honored to have him here with us today to address the class of 2004. Please help me warmly welcome Martin Yan. Like um, Dean, the, the, uh, the college dean said, that you gotta face challenge. You gotta love challenge. Me too. Every day I face challenge, and I love challenges. If you watch the Yankin Cook show 25 years ago, this is about this long. And this is much longer than this. I challenge myself. I have 20 more years to go until such time that I no longer have any fingers to cook anymore. Good afternoon. Ladies and gentlemen, fellow Aggies, faculties, it is such a great honor for me to be here today. 
The last time was here, in this gown, Gerald Ford was president and cares were about 65 cents. That was before your grandfather was born. And on my graduation day, I was sitting right over there, fifth row, third seat in front of the aisle. I remember everything about that day. That day was one of the proudest moments of my life. As I'm sure today is one of your proudest. Of course, on that day, I could not have imagined that many years later, I would be standing right here sharing the podium with some of the greatest scholars and leaders of our time and addressing the young bright mind of tomorrow. This is a very special day for me. It is my homecoming. I'm probably the proudest Aggie on earth. <laughs> Wherever I go, I can't stop talking about the great work that UC Davis has done, especially when it comes to the agricultural and environmental sciences, food science, Vintage culture and knowledge, which I love because I love to drink. In fact, to try to calm myself down, I have three glasses of red wine. Call me the unofficial Eggy spokesperson. But why not? My years here were some of the happiest years of my life. You have no idea how much I miss this place. I sometimes even miss the food in the dorm. <laughs> My journey here has been a long and winding one. It started out in Guangzhou, they used to call Canton. China in a tiny two-room house at the end of the dirt row. Believe it or not, I was a very shy and quiet, shy kid. Sitting and staring were two of my favorite pastimes. I would spend hours looking down the road, scrunching up my eyes to see as far as I could, wondering where it might lead to. I could never have imagined just how far away that road would have taken me, how many twists and turns, how many lands and languages, how many hardships and adventures and beautiful surprises it would have revealed. If someone had told me that one day I would be standing in front of 5,000 people, wearing a gown and a square hat with some funny tussle, giving a speech in America, in English, I would have laughed and said, hey, leave out the sanginga. That means, which basically translated to, you're totally nuts. Or literally, hey, what kind of chili powder have you been putting on your hot and sour soup? <laughs> People always ask me, Martin, how do you become a chef? Just like Proverbs mentioned, I changed my career. I started my first career washing dishes. By the end of the three months, that I broke practically every single dish, so they promoted me. <laughs> so I became a chef because I could never break any more dishes. Now, how do you get on TV? How do you get where you are today? How long have you been in this? And what is the secret? There's no secret. The secret is you just have to love what you do, passionate about what you do, and keep challenging yourself. In the beginning, I didn't really know which path to follow. I just started walking. 
I follow my nose. Somewhere back then, I, have, I must have smelled food. And here I am. That's what I wanted to talk to you about today. Finding your way down the road of life. Memories of my early years are mostly a blurb of hardship and day-to-day -day struggle. I have no real toys, no children's books, of course, no television. I went to school, help out with the daily chore at home because my mother was a capitalist, so I always have to go to brainwash meetings in China, in Guangzhou, China. By the time she comes home, me and my brother will be starving to death. So that's why we have to learn to do all of these. And always daydream about becoming the world's greatest Kung Fu master. This period was the most turbulent politically, socially, and economical time in modern China. On top of floods and drought, there were too many of us to share too little. Like most kids, we went to bed hungry practically every night. Everything was rationed, oil, rice, meat, fabric, even the vegetable. And sometimes the vegetable is the only thing that weren't rationed. But you had to line up for hours to just get one head of cabbage before I go to school. But just after my 13th birthday, a letter arrived from an a distant uncle from Hong Kong. It was the first real fork in the row of my life. My distant uncle had offered me to take me on as apprentice in this popular restaurant in Kowloon, Hong Kong, called Sun Wong Ki. I head downstream in a riverboat in Hong Kong, all by myself with $5 in my pocket, a small rattan suitcase with three sets of underwear and two beat-up little shirts. I'm still wearing the same set of underwear today. <laughs> you can check it out if you want. My years as a chef apprentice were what you call the school of hot walks. I went to high school during the day and spent most of the evening and weekends in the back of the Samuel K kitchen. In the summer, when school was out, I would work seven days a week, 16 hours a day. I remember the pay was about $20 Hong Kong, which is about $2.50 a month, plus room and board. And I mean that literally. My bed was a board that fit over the top of the two booths in the dining room after the restaurant closed at midnight. Ironically, it is the only time in my entire career when I got to sleep on the job. <laughs> I started out scrubbing walks, washing and cutting vegetables, peeling shrimps, and swooping the floor. By the end of my first year, it was chop till you drop. Thousands of hours of slicing, dicing, mincing, and chopping. That's how I pick up all those fast moves with my Chinese cleaver. People always ask me, Martin, are you nervous? Are you afraid? Of course I'm not. If you pay attention to what I do on television, I never look at what I do. When I look, I get very nervous. And besides, I have four more of this in my suitcase. But I couldn't afford the food. But what happened is, later on, I start dreaming about becoming a real chef. So I enrolled in a local professional chef school. But I couldn't afford the tuition fee. By exchange, I helped the chef owner to shop at the local wet market for the class. The daily shopping trip actually gave me the opportunity to learn much more about the chef's essential, the seasonal produce, and the exotic ingredients. Once I had my chef diploma, I came to another fork in the road. Now, before 
some of you up there in the, in the peanut gallery start snickering. What does a Chinese kid know about forks? Let me just say that I'm retelling the story with plenty of hindsight, which include a complete set of Western dinnerware. Now, where was I? Oh, yes. Should I stay in Hong Kong or should I go back to Guangzhou to be close to my widowed mother and younger brother? Or should I try something totally new? All I knew was I want to move forward. With the help from a Christian school principal, I had the option to come to America for college. So I made the decision I would follow the road to the West. Being a foreign student, I have to pay just a teeny tiny bit more than you. Those days, the tuition was a little bit more affordable in Canada. So that first row led me to Calgary, Alberta, Canada, where I worked part-time for a high school buddy's family restaurant as a cook. But one day, over a plate of shrimp chow fun, I realized I want more. It's not more chow fun. No more chow fun. It is not fun anymore. <laughs> more out of life. So I wanted to keep learning. I wanted to get a college degree as soon as I could. So traveling with a friend, I happened to pass by here, Davis, and was fascinated by what I saw. Those leafy, lush paths and thousands of bicycles were very comforting and very familiar. Because you ever go to China, they have millions and millions of bikes. It looked like my hometown, Guangzhou, except it's cleaner and greener. And the food science program appealed to me because I only knew that it would help to produce and preserve more food for the world. For someone going to bed hungry every night when I was growing up, this was very appealing. A Chinese proverb always rang in my ear. The closer you are to the kitchen, the better chance that you have a full stomach. That's Russian again. I'll never forget my first day here. I was greeted by leafy trees and hundreds of speeding bikes. But there was something else. A certain smell like rotten egg mixed with fish sauce. In all my life, even in rural China, even in the basement of a Hong Kong restaurant, I have never smelled anything so strong than I have never. And that was when I found out about the holy cows over there. <laughs> well, like most of you, after a few days, I hardly noticed it. I treasure my memory of my years here. I met all kinds of wonderful people. My wife, the woman I share my life, and all the students, my friends and faculties. I practice my English, study all the time, and speed around my bike. In fact, I have ever since become an avid bike rider. I don't even own a car. It took me 16 hours to get here from my bike from San Francisco. That's why it keeps my leg in great shape. <laughs> to pay for my tuition, I actually taught cooking classes in the extension program. Now, mind you, I was a young man who took myself very seriously, and I have high expectation for those classes. I make up courses titled like The Philosophy, History, and Science of Chinese Cuisine. But we met in a coffee shop. And how serious can you really be at the coffee shop? In spite of all my attempt to lecture on the history and culture, most of my students just wanted to have a good time, drink a little wine, relax, and fill up with tasty 
Chinese food. Actually, the experience taught me a great deal to have confidence, to believe in yourself. After all the hard work in the kitchen and all those years of training, I have forgotten that food and cooking it is one of life's greatest pressures. I knew that food brings friends and family and people together. It doesn't matter what religious, what belief, what political affiliation you are. Everybody loves good food. I lightened up. I started to joke around and have some fun. And that was when I fell in love with teaching and sharing what I love with others. After graduation, I got a job in a large Hong Kong food manufacturing company so that I could be close to my mom again. It turned out that living in Davis changed my lifestyle, that I missed the trees and the open space, both of which I didn't find in Hong Kong. So I head back to, to the Bay Area, to North America, and up in Canada again for a little while. First opened the first Asian cooking school, an idea that was probably a little bit ahead of its time. Having just a few students, I wound up giving private lessons to the building's security guards just for practice. But was it the wrong choice? No, because one day it brought me to another fork in the road. It was a freezing cold winter morning. The snow had come down very hard for days. I was setting up for class when the phone rang. The frantic noise on the other end of the line began babbling at me. It was the producer and host of a live local television show. Her guest, a popular local chef, had called in sick and she needed a replacement. And I'll be right over, I said. So having absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into because I never faced a camera before. In a hurry, I packed a cupboard box full of meat and vegetable and a few seasoning, grabbed my trusty wok and my sharp cleaver, loaded it all into the trunk of my better old car and set out through the blizzard. Half an hour later, I skid into the parking lot of the station and flew out of the car and jumped the key into the, la the lock of the trunk. If you ever spend any time in minus 40 degree Fahrenheit weather, you probably know that the trunk locks has an annoying way of freezing shut at the worst time. By the time we got the lock finally open, the meat and vegetable had frozen. I rushed in the studio, looked at the camera, and held up a head of cabbage covered with ice crystal, brought out, Hi, I am Martin Yan, the cook, and today I'm going to show you how to enjoy frozen food. <laughs> to my amazement, everybody laughed. I have no idea what happened next. I still feel more like a nightmare than a real experience. I remember smiling a lot, moving around very fast to avoid collapsing from nervous anxiety. Banging pots and pots like a wild man. I wasn't even really trying to be funny. I just kept saying whatever pops into my mind. And they just kept laughing. I chop, they clap. I chop faster, they clap harder. After the show, the producer told me, hey, Martin, you are natural. And they asked me back the following week when I asked them what they want me to do. They said, hey, just be yourself. Have fun. So no one was more shocked when I was, in two weeks later, offered to do a television show. That was the beginning of Yen Ken Cook. We taped about 130 shows in 25 days. If you ever done television show, you know most cooking show hosts two, about two a day, or about four to six a week. We do 135, 130 episodes in 25 days, because I figure out I'm gonna take the money and run. 
because this might be the first and the last time I'll be ever on television. And I eventually developed a modest following. The whole thing felt like a game, and I couldn't hardly believe that I was getting actually paid to do it. But I missed those leafy trees and mild winters of California, so I found my way back to the Bay Area, where KQED San Francisco. Within months, the show was broadcast all over the country. Today, as I said, the Yankin Cook Show is seen in more than 60 countries around the world. And in between, I make hundreds of trips all over the world, teaching, speaking, studying, cooking, and writing cookbooks. It has been a wonderful adventure and a humbling experience. And I've learned so much and had the good fortune to meet and work with more generous, talented, remarkable people than I ever imagined the world could contain. And the point of all of this is you never know where following your nose will take you as you head out into the world today. The opportunity are endless. It might not always look that way. Some of you may feel a little bit like Woody Allen did when he said, more than any other times in history, mankind faces a crossroad. One path leads to despair and utter hopelessness, the other to total extinction. Let us pray we have the wisdom to choose correctly. But seriously, opportunity is not a pot of gold waiting for you somewhere in the distance. Opportunity is a state of mind. It is being open to whatever it is you can do today. Right here and right now. It started with seeing the possibility, believing in yourself and trusting your instinct. It started by taking one small step forward. That is a lesson I kept learning over and over again and again. Every time I think I know where I'm going, I come to another fork in the road. Well, sometimes it's a fork. Sometimes it's more like a pair of chopsticks. But anyway, here I am, just like you are today, feeling happy to have achieved something important, but also a little anxious about choosing the right path to take next. And the older I get, Look at these physical specimen. I just celebrate my 85th birthday, okay? <laughs> the more I realize, as long as you stay true to yourself, what really matters not which path you embark on, it's just that you embark at all. One of my favorite American philosophy, the baseball legend, Yogi Berra, put it better than anyone. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. That yogi, he sure knew his fox. I congratulate all of you, my fellow Aggie, and I wish you bon voyage. Keep your head up and your eyes open. Laugh and smile and often, as often as you can. Follow your nose and listen to your heart. And may all your roads be filled with joy and magical surprises. For those of you who watch the show, I have a slogan. I always say, if Yan can, so can you. And I want all of you sit over here, repeat after me. If Yan can, we can. If Yan can, we can. Thank you so much.